Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And we'll be talking today about the kingdom of God and a conversation with each other and with God. We're going to be talking about uh, all kinds of things. I heard in the news just before the program began that they were somebody got into trouble for condemning sin in a church. <laughs> that was <laughs> that. That's pretty amazing that somebody actually. Uh, uh, is upset because a preacher is preaching against the ideas that we have considered to be sins for thousands upon thousands of years. So certainly things are constantly being changed, whether we like it or not, at least in some people's opinion. But of course, opinions don't create reality. Your opinion, you can't have your truth and my truth and somebody else's truth and they all be truth if they're all different. The reality is that there is a reality and there is a truth and it is up to us to try to find it. And one of the ways that we try to find it is we have a conversation with one another. In order to have that conversation, we have to have free speech. And of course, here's a minister is expected to apologize for giving his opinion that sin leads to destruction. He actually said that uh, you're going to go to hell. But uh, hell is uh, often used as a figure of speech, even in the Bible, where it's saying that things will go to hell, go badly, be destructive. They use that word, destructive, if you go a particular way in your society. If you do certain things, if you accept certain ideas in your society that your society will automatically be destroyed. And we've been having a conversation concerning the law. And we talked about the word Torah supposedly means the law. And people think of the Ten Commandments as the law. And that there were laws nailed to the cross. And that uh, if you look in a Black's Law Dictionary, you'll see lots of Latin phrases throughout the dictionary because Roman law, Roman civil law, and civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. And we still depend heavily upon what was written down thousands and thousands of years ago to determine what law is what it should be. And of course there's statutes and we'll talk a little bit about some of the statutes that were recently passed in uh, California, which uh, California is kind of uh, the thermometer in the bird. Uh, the You know, you have this little thermometer that uh, they stick in uh, a turkey when you're roasting it and uh, they used to sell these turkeys where this little thing would pop up when the turkey's done. And uh, so California is our, uh, you know, our wind gauge, our, our thermometer in the turkey to see uh, where the rest of the world is going to go, at least the way the, way the rest of the United States is going to go because of what they do in California. But California 
is not the whole world. And we are in the United States is not the whole world. And, and we may end up talking a little bit about what's been going on in China and uh, Xi Ping and, and the World Economic Forum. But we're going to exercise our power of free speech which is really what the topic of today's show is going to be about, free speech and having that conversation that it was talked about by Paul. And uh, free speech is only a small part of it. But free speech itself, you know, this, this right to free speech itself is only a part of that Bill of Rights mention of free speech in the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the United States, you know, in, in the Bill of Rights, actually, it states this, which is actually an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, which was an afterthought. They thought they'd add these Bill of Rights. And uh, I talked about it about a week ago or whenever our last show was. It might have been a couple of shows ago, how the local sheriff in the county that we're in, we live in a quite an unusual county, but the local sheriff, who actually I think used to be a state trooper and then ran for sheriff. And he wasn't going to run this time around. But then, uh, and we had somebody else who would probably make a better sheriff. Uh, But the sheriff, uh, Taylor, who was in this county, wrote something and referred to the Second Amendment as a privilege. Because there's, there's a measure coming up in the state of Oregon that would infringe upon your right to keep and bear arms, to hold weapons. And uh, that was considered sacred by people like George Washington, who said not only the rifle, but the pistol, and and that this was absolutely essential. And he had a few things to say about freedom of speech. He says if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent... We may be led like sheep to the slaughter. That was George Washington's opinion concerning uh, freedom of speech. He actually was in favor for of the con- uh, Constitution at uh, the beginning when they were trying to get it ratified by the states. And we, those uh, you can go look up We the People at Preparing You and read our article on that, that the We the People at the beginning of the Constitution of the United States had nothing to do with the individuals in America. We the People did not refer to them, the people of the individual states, the individual Americans living on their land in fee simple uh, untouched by any of the relics of feudalism was becoming a tough nut for any imperial power to crack. I just quoted uh, James Truslow's March of Democracy, a five-volume set put out by Britannica Black when I was a little boy. And I still remember that <laughs> quote, which you can find on page 45, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so... And I have a copy of it somewhere here. Oh, it's right behind me on the wall. Uh, I still have it. I inherited many of my father's books when I, when he passed away. But in the Constitution, or actually, as I said, in the Bill of Rights, this First Amendment says Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or 
of the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's just the First Amendment. They talk about freedom of speech. That amendment covers a lot of stuff. (laughs) It, It covers freedom of religion. So that, you know, that you can actually, you know, say that sin leads to destruction of your society without fear of being censored either by your congregation or certainly by the government. And, of course, now, actually, I just said that you couldn't be censored by your congregation for what you say, for your speech, but not because of the Constitution of the United States, but because there's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. Just like I, I took umbrage with Sheriff Taylor, who said that Second Amendment was a privilege that we had a right to enjoy. No, it's an inalienable right that the government was blocked from being able to infringe upon the right, the natural right, of the free citizens living in the individual states. And I use the citizen in its primary sense, not in its judicial sense or its civil sense. Remember, Roman law, Roman civil law, and civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. But your rights don't come from Roman law. They don't come from the Constitution. Your rights come from God because the people are the fourth branch of government not created by the Constitution of the United States but created by God who endowed them with certain rights. Those rights are unalienable, inalienable. They are natural rights belonging to every man. Now, every man has those rights but they may not maintain those rights if they do not maintain their responsibility to exercise them. A theme we constantly come back to. A common theme in natural law. And natural law, if you look it up also at Preparing You, look up Law of Nature or Natural Law, and you will see that natural law, divine will, divine law, are the same system of jurisprudence. Natural law was created by the creator of nature. You know, which we see Jefferson referring to, you know, the the creator and nature, you know, nature and nature's God. Well, nature's God is the creator of nature, the creator of heaven and earth. And we'll cover that in our Genesis series that we will also uh, get into. I've been working on all these to put them together as a series, starting with Matthew. Uh, which we've already started, but tying Matthew together with Genesis because Matthew, writing Jews who were Christians, followers of Christ, followers of the way, uh, men who were no longer applying to Caesar for their daily bread. They were applying to the Father in heaven and and to the church established by Jesus Christ who was called the Son of God. They did not go get the free bread of Caesar, because Caesar Caesar was also called the Son of God, and the Savior of the Roman Empire. 
And Jesus was called the Son of God and the Savior of the Kingdom of God, the Savior of those who are believers in God and the law of nature. See, this debate concerning the law of nature and nature's God was actually taking place in the Roman Synod at the time of Jesus Christ. Parallels to their time and their government and ours. They had three branches of government. They had three offices often held by Caesar himself. One, he appointed all the judges throughout the empire. All the imperial judges throughout the empire. I always have to qualify that because there were local judges that were appointed by local governments. There was a government in Syria. There was a government in Ephesus. There was a government in Judea. And they had local judges to judge individual crimes in Judea. They could execute people in Judea for capital crimes. If somebody murdered somebody, I mean, they stoned Stephen. They didn't go and ask the Romans if they could stone Stephen. They just did it. But people will say, oh, they they couldn't kill somebody. No, they couldn't kill somebody who claimed to be the king of Judea. Rome was the only one who could pass judgment on that because Rome had been invited into Judea to do it. But back to this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Most people do not understand that, but that's based on what we now call freedom of religion. The problem is, is that in the last 200 years, the people, the government, the media, and Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> and Webster's Dictionary have changed the definition of religion. They changed it. And we should have a conversation about that. Because freedom of speech exists in the kingdom of God. And, of course, we can look those things up. We can look them up in a dictionary at the, you know, that was uh, part of the dictionaries at the time that the Constitution was written. So, how was religion defined in those days? Do you know how the religion religion was defined? What was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man? Religion that we see in the Bible is usually translated from the word threskia, which means what you do. And Jesus said it wasn't what you say, but what you do. So religion isn't what you say you believe. You believe sin will lead to you going to hell or sin will lead to destruction. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society and pure religion was doing so without the world, which was according to the definition in your Strong's Concordance and in theirs, which is over there on my other shelf, uh, religion, pure religion, was taking care of the needy of your society, the widows and orphans, the needy of your society, unspotted by the world, and the world word world there means constitutional order and system of government. So if you have Congress... 
who the, the Congress in Rome at the time of Jesus Christ was called Patri. The congressman was called Patri, father. Uh, they were called the conscripted fathers of Rome. That's what the Senate was. If you're going to the Senate for your daily bread, then you're going to the fathers of the earth for your daily bread. You see? And you're not practicing pure religion because you're going to the world, the constitutional order and system of Rome. And that which had three branches of government. They had a judiciary, uh, which was appointed by, uh, at least by the emperor, who was the appointer of gods, apotheos, appointer of gods. And you have the uh, senate, which was their legislative branch. And you had their principal civitas, their president of Rome, who also could be and often was the commander-in-chief, which you would call the emperor. That's how you translate emperor. If you're going to translate imperator into English, you would translate it commander-in-chief. If you're just going to put the word emperor there, then you may not realize what the duties of the emperor are. And the third office was apotheos. Apotheos of Rome, which meant he appointed the imperial judges. All those offices belong to the President of the United States now. Although when Trump was President of the United States, somebody on the Joint Chief of Staff called his counterpart in China and said that if if we attack you, I'll give you a heads up. <laughs> So that, that you'll be ready, at, you know. And the guy wasn't taken out and shot; <laughs> he was given more power. But anyway, uh, not that I encourage anybody to take him out, shoot him. But I mean, that sounds like treason because Xi Ping in China has a plan to destroy America. They actually have a plan. To destroy America. Isn't that amazing? You can actually get a book that tells you all about the plan. Well, it doesn't tell you all about the plan because the guy who wrote the book is heavily censored. He can only tell you certain things. But uh, if you want to read the book, it's 100-year marathon. And uh, it is supposed to come to an end in 2250. Uh, and the plan is to basically pretend to be a friend of America while secretly trying to destroy it. And, of course, Xi Ping recently just spoke at the World Economic Forum, which wants to change government all around the world, create a one-world government, etc. And uh, that's his plan. And you can, Michael Pillsbury wrote the book, How the U.S. government, you know, 100-year marathon, I think is the name of the book, but he talks about how the U.S. government agencies secretly aided the communist uh, China's rise to power, including their military power. I mean, we have sold them uh, many, many examples of, uh, of military equipment. I mean, torpedoes for their subs, etc., uh, they're constantly taking technology out of America and uh, well known that they do this. And, uh, you know, like originally when they got the nuclear power, they 
they said they would only have 200 uh, nuclear warheads because they just wanted enough to protect them. They weren't interested in world domination. According to this book, they certainly now have over a thousand nuclear warheads, while because of treaties we've signed with Russia, they're only allowed 750 nuclear warheads. <laughs> and they believe there's no reason to believe that the Chinese don't have 2,000 nuclear warheads. And now because Ronald Reagan actually sold them the torpedo and torpedo technology, uh, they may have the power to... Uh, uh, you know, t- to deliver some of that nuclear weapons through their torpedo systems. There's actually all kinds of things that they could do. Uh, according to the Bible, I won't go into it now, it, it would lead me to believe that uh, there will be foreign troops in this country in, in a matter of less than a few decades. Uh, I... I can't say for sure, but there's definitely a very clear interpretation that they will be invited in to the United States to help with some sort of chaos that's going on in the United States. And it will be through the UN troops, and they will bring them in that way. Uh, there's good reason to believe they're already here, etc., to some degree, but not enough to take over the country. The problem is... What we want to face and what we want to establish is that Americans have abandoned pure religion for a false religion, a lot worse than what that preacher was talking about. And I may include a quote from him. Uh, I'll put it in here so you can hear it, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll splice it into our, our personal recording of the show that will eventually be on the website. We have thousand recordings on the website of past shows on this station and other stations and uh, we tried to put them on individual pages that explain those things that you just don't hear about anywhere else Uh, what was going on in the early church how the early church operated why the early church was the salvation of the people as we see the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and we see you know, if you want to know the future, study the past. Of course, you could read the Bible because there are prophecies that some of them have to do with our time. Some of them had to do with the time of Christ. Some of them have to, had to do with both because history repeats itself. And so just as the Roman Empire with its three branches of government, its constitution. Have you read the Roman constitution? Most people haven't read the American constitution. That you would see parallels between that time, more so at this particular time in history than almost any time since Jesus Christ. We see parallels throughout the whole world, not just the Pax Romana, but throughout the whole world. They're paralleling the sins of Rome and the sins of Ephesus, and the sins of uh, many of these other city-states, and the sins of modern governments today, and the sins of the people living in those modern governments today. Because they don't know it, but they have established religion through their governments. And they now prohibit the free exercise thereof. 
but you don't know how to redress grievances. But we're going to talk about that when we return to the Keys to the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to talk a little bit about censorship, free speech. You know, Henry Louis Gates said censorship is, is to art as lynching is to justice. And so the reality is, is that anybody censoring is actually committing a hate crime. And uh, this is something that we talk about on our uh, free speech page at... Uh, Preparing You. Again, we, we deposit a lot of this information at preparingyou.com because we're preparing you for not only the bad things that are coming, for the hell on earth that's coming, but for the kingdom of God. Because actually the solution to dealing with the hell that is coming is to have been seeking the kingdom of God in his righteousness. On the, our minister call, we have a minister call with ministers around the country. And of course, if you were actually doing what Jesus Christ told you to do, you'd all be organized. Everybody who actually professes Jesus Christ with their lips and saying that they believe in Jesus Christ would also be organizing in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands so that they would become a, a peculiar people. Because that was what was peculiar about Christians is they were organized in this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. I mean, that wasn't so unique to the people of Judea because they were also organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because the synagogue was ten families. So that, they, you don't see a lot written in the Bible. You see it in Mark where Christ is commanding that his disciples make the people sit down in this pattern of tens for the redistribution of food at the loaves and fishes. You know, he commands that they sit down in these symposia. Symposia is ten men and it's they said there were 5,000 men in their families, so those 10 men would be heads of families. They would be what the Greeks would call elders. An elder wasn't an office of the church. An elder was the head of a family. That's what the word meant. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that elders are an office where you're appointed to become an elder in a church. No, you're an elder because you're a head of a family. And as the head of a family, you might be appointed in the church, but it's to do what? To be a minister of ten. But just like Peter said, look out amongst yourselves, find men you trust, and we will appoint them over this matter. That that was the legal procedure in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, the ministers cannot exercise authority one over the other. We can't pick them for you. You have to pick them. So Christ commanded that his disciples make the people organize themselves. And so what's so wrong with that? That's a good thing. If you don't organize yourselves, then Washington's prophecy that if uh, the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led, comma, like a sheep to the slaughter, to destruction. So that's that's why you organize. And, and somebody actually told me, he says, well, that was just before the distribution of the loaves and fishes. 
Well, how are they rightly dividing the bread from house to house later on in Acts? How did they rightly divide the bread and the supplies that Paul brought to places like Syria and Corinth and Galatia when they when there was a dearth in the land and they had to, Barnabas and Paul had to go and bring help, bring supplies. So who did they bring it to? How did they know who to give it to? Everybody wore Christian armbands, you know, or, you know, had little insignias around their necks that showed a crucifix or a fish or something like that. No, they were organized. They had to be organized. The Romans were organized. They sent bread, but they weren't as efficient at it. I mean, the first bishop, the first bishop of the Church of Constantine in Milan, was Ambrose. But he was working for Caesar before they elected him to be the bishop. And of course, they didn't elect like the bishops of the Christian church. This was the Constantine's church. The Christian church was organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So ten families picked a minister, and that minister got together with ten other ministers like himself, and they picked a minister, and that minister of those ministers was called an overseer or an episcopo in the Greek or what we also translate overseer, episcopo into overseer and sometimes into bishop. But if I say bishop now, you're thinking a bishop like you see out there now in the Episcopalian church or the Catholic church or all the other churches that have bishops. But those bishops exercise authority. But we were told we couldn't exercise authority by Christ. And if you're going to follow Christ, shouldn't you be doing what Jesus said? Well, they aren't. They're exercising authority one over the other. I can't tell you who your minister will be. You have to decide that. I can't tell you what words to use. I'm telling you that religion 200 years ago was defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. You know, God doesn't need any bread, so you don't need to have a daily ministration of bread to God, but you might have to have a daily ministration of bread to your fellow man. How are you going to do that? You just give $20 bills to guys on the street corner and say, we need bread. They got to sign out, you know, we need bread, and you just you hand it out the window to them. You know, just roll it down a little bit because you never know who those guys are. And just hand him a $20 bill. And you say, well, I've, I was charitable today. I gave a $20 bill to a homeless person with a sign. <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, that that uh, quote of George Washington is making more sense now. Dumb and silent, <laughs> we, we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Of course, he, he means like dumb and deaf, mute, kind of dumb, but... You know, take it as you see it. But the reality is, is that we're not having the conversation that they had daily in the early church. We're not having the conversation in words, and we're not having the conversation in the practice of pure religion, and we're not having the conversation in what the Bible actually is talking about. We've been dumbed down by modern religion. I mean... like I said, if you think we the people has to do with everybody in America when it was originally written, 
you don't understand the Constitution. There was debates as to whether it should say we the people or we the states. But the states didn't have the power to create a constitution in themselves. But the people of the states did. And and we have a whole book available for free online. Contracts, uh, Covenants, and Constitutions. And it goes to this step by step. You can read a lot of it in the pages that preparing you. Look up Not a Party. Because... We, the people of the American individual states, and I had relatives in in the country before the Constitution, before the Revolution. <laughs> I had great-grandfathers that were here. And uh, most of the people in America, we, the people of America, were opposed to the Constitution, but it wasn't put to a vote of the people. But still, it does say in that First Amendment, Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion. And now, since I, uh, I, I talked about that in the first part of the show, I've now added a link to the word religion there, so you can go look up religion and find out what religion me- meant at the time that that was written in the Constitution. And uh, so what what do you think it meant? <laughs> what, what do you think they, they were telling us? They were talking about social welfare. Because religion was social welfare. It was how you took care of the needy of your society. And, and you either did it through faith, hope, and charity, or you did it through force. Caesar did it through force. FDR thought that was a good idea, and so he did it through force. You know, tax the people and then... Hand out welfare. Uh, LBJ accentuated what FDR already started. And every president since has added more and more welfare. You know, a table of welfare offered by the governments of the world to the people. And the people who sat down to eat at those tables. Paul says, there is a table of which we do not eat. And we have a table of which they cannot eat. That's very important. Because when the Israelites are down there on the shores of the Red Sea, they had food with them. They had gold and silver with them also. But came with his army to attack them. And he was going to take away their gold and silver. He was going to take away their food and probably in the process take away many of their lives. He had set them free, but now they were fair game. They're out there in the wilderness. And he came with his army. But he wasn't able to take from them. Because God intervened. Will God intervene for you? Well, if you really believe in Jesus and what he said. But then, of course, then how do you know you really believe in Jesus? I've added to our page on believeth. How do you know you believeth? What? what because you say, Lord, Lord, Jesus says that's not going to be enough. He actually warns us that many would be saying, Lord, Lord, but they were actually workers of iniquity. So, what's he talking about? What What's that whole process of saying and being the righteous children of God? Are you doing that? 
are are you a part of what the early Christians were doing that did believe? Well, for one thing, they organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Another thing, they took care of all the social welfare needs of Christians through faith, hope, and charity. No Christian had a should, and and Paul preaches against it over and over again, and of course Christ did too. Sign up with the men, the fathers of the earth, the Patri Congress, the conscripted fathers. That's what the Congress in the Senate was called by the Romans. And Jesus said, call, you know, no man father upon the earth. Yet, when he said that, everybody standing there knew that the government of both the Caesar and the Senate were called fathers. Caesar was Patronus, our father who art in Rome. And the Senate were the conscripted fathers, conscripted patri. And we see the word, the Latin word patri, which is also the same in the Greek, pretty much the same in the Greek. They're in the text of the Bible to call no man on earth father. And, and at the same time he's talking about this, he talks about this is how you pray. Our father who art in heaven. You know, that father who is the God of nature. Hallowed be thy name. Not See, every year, Romans, we go to the temple, buy some incense from the temple at an inflated price, burn that incense, and profess that Caesar was their Patronus, and that Caesar was the Son of God, and that Caesar was the Savior of Rome. They would do that every year. At the temple, because the temples are government buildings, so you had to profess your loyalty every year at the government building. Probably sometime in April. <laughs> and Because Caesar was going to give free bread out. I mean, although, you know, poets and philosophers of the time said that that's what destroyed Rome. That's what ruined the Roman character. And it was prophesied 150 years before that that would ruin Rome by uh, historians of Rome like Polybius and we quote that and show you that you know he warns you that but your preachers are not they're going to say the sin will lead you to hell and they, they will say that sin may lead you to destruction but they're not going to tell you that coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who call themselves father that are the rulers of their government that exercise authority one over the other that applying to them for your daily welfare is actually a snare. But you don't have to believe me. You can ask David. You can ask Paul. Paul quotes David that says what should have been for your welfare is a snare. And the only reason he's quoting David saying that is because it's also in Proverbs. If you sit and eat with a ruler, put a knife to your throat. Because his dainties, his benefits, are deceitful meats. They're going to deliver you into bondage. What they're also doing is their social welfare program is an establishment of religion. If religion, if pure religion is how you take care of the needy of society, 
and you do it through the welfare of the government provided at the government temples, I mean the government buildings, a little sarcasm there, but the reality is all those temples in Rome were government buildings. You can look up or temples at preparing you and we show you what they did in that. That's where you registered births so that your children would be eligible for the benefits. It's where you registered marriages and it was that was one of the things Christians were persecuted for under Marcus Aurelius. Is that he he made it mandatory that you register your births within thirty days. Because those children were collateral for the debt that was accumulating, especially since Nero, the debt that was accumulating in the Roman Empire. But you don't know. You you barely know what's going on in your government. <laughs> you didn't you didn't know that hundreds and hundreds of what we would consider to be secret weapons were sold to the Chinese. You didn't know that by the government. You didn't know that? It didn't stop there. I mean, I mean, recently, you know, I, I want to plug a source of news. I don't usually do this, but the Epoch Times, Epic Times, whatever you want to call it, they're really a pretty good source of news. And Yanya Elik, he's American thought leaders. He interviews people. Fascinating interviews. They, they're not, small portions of them will be on YouTube, but you actually have to subscribe to, to get to see the whole things, but they're really very good. If you want a broader sense of news, but we told you a lot of the stuff that they recently have been sharing with uh, the different people that they've been interviewing. There was a uh, Dr. Merrill Nass, very learned woman, been around for a long time, and many of the things that she's now doing the research on and have un, has uncovered and sharing with everybody uh, that she can, was censored by the media. But we have our own network. And, of course, everybody, if you're organizing the tens, hundreds, and thousands, that's what you should be doing is going to preparing you and uh, joining the networks. And some people say, oh, I didn't want to join because they're Google groups. The Google groups are just a way in which... Uh, and, and we had our own network with emails through our servers and everything, but we're on a limited budget. We don't put all our money into bells and whistles, but Google had a good system. You get on that network, that email network, but once you organize in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you don't need to use Google anymore. Our goal is that you don't even need to use the Internet anymore, that you'll have other means of communication, because we can see... Uh, that far into the future that you need to have those other means of communication otherwise you wouldn't have known all the things that we were sharing with you way before it was getting into the media I mean before vaccines even came out we knew what the problem was we knew guys who uh, uncovered where the, the all this stuff was coming from we knew the solutions we shared it with through the, the network, but the living network is really where you'll get the information that we won't even put on the internet. I mean, most all of our books are just available for free on the internet, but they're showing you what you need to be doing in order to obtain free speech and that have that conversation that Paul talks about.
which is not just talk. Conversation didn't just mean talk. But uh, this Dr. Merrill Nass, you know, she she points out, you know, the number of people that more people have died uh, or their deaths have been connected to bears with the vaccine uh, in the last two years than all the people that were ever reported as possibly dying from all the other vaccines put together over the last 30 years. Um, it, it is astounding. As a matter of fact, life expectancy in the United States has dropped quite a bit. Actually, we're at, our life expectancy in the United States is less than that in Cuba. <laughs> By at least three years. That's already dropped. And I expect it will be dropping even more and more and more because the studies are showing that the people who got the vaccination, studies out of England, and other studies which she mentions and she shows and she shares. Uh, so that people who got vaccinated are more likely to die. Statistically, that's what we're seeing from not only types of COVID, but other flus and diseases as well. And the actuaries are going up. But there's a new law that just came out also to do with the freedom of speech in Southern California. And they they plan to supersede federal law and actually doctors will not be allowed to tell patients there's a black box warning on the label of a given medicine. They actually have a law that says that you cannot inform your patients of uh, what the labels required by law says they need to be warned of. <laughs> like one of the, some people thought monoclonal antibodies given in a hospitalized patient can actually cause a worsening of their COVID condition according to the label. You know, it's not, I'm not making it up. It's on the label of the monoclonal antibodies. According to this California law, it doesn't appear that they can tell you that. And, and most people didn't know it because they just simply weren't telling you. And they didn't take the time to find out what the truth was. But this deterring of the right to have the conversation, to talk about these things, is horrendous. And it's an act of violence in itself. The most hateful speech throughout history has been no speech at all. Because if as the quote goes, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men do nothing, then it is certainly as equal, if not more equal, and equally true, that the only thing necessary for evil to triumph in the world is that good men say nothing. So if good men do say something and say, you know, this could be, this could kill you, this could destroy you. This could destroy your society. This could lead your society into hell. And somebody tries to censor that speech. That's not, that is an act of violence. That is an act of hate. You know, hate speech, 
you know, they're, they're trying to censor all kinds of speech. And they said, well, we've always censored speech. Well, you can't yell fire in a theater. Why can't you yell fire in a theater? If there's a fire in the theater, can't you yell fire in the theater? Well, actually, you're not supposed to yell fire in the theater. You're supposed to say, everybody, leave orderly from the exits. Because what happens, we had it in a, in a building up north of here, just in Silver Lake, where somebody tipped over a kerosene lantern, and a fire ensued, and the doors opened inward. And the people tried to get out, and the, and the ensuing pandemonium, all kinds of people were hurt and then eventually burned. So, you you can't do something that would actually harm something, buddy. But to not tell them the truth about something, not fully inform them, is harm. But anyway, we'll have to talk about this more when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So, what is this... Why, why is free speech so important and what is, can you censor some speech? And, and of course, it is true that we have censored some speech over the years. I mean, you can't sit around and plot the murder of some innocent person. That speech can be censored. But not because it's speech, but because it's a plot to murder. No speech between people should be censored unless itself is a, is a crime. Uh, to plot or perpetrate an injury or harm of others without due cause. That, that's, it's not, you're not limiting speech. You're limiting the perpetration of another crime that is also involved with speech. I mean, it's just like your right to have a weapon. That's the right to bear arms for thousands of years was considered a responsibility to bear arms. That you had to arm yourself according to your means. If if your only means was a pitchfork, then that's you should arm yourself with a pitchfork. If you could afford a, a sword or a gun, you should buy a sword or a gun. Even Jesus says, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and go get one. Because you not only have a responsibility to protect yourself so that you can be there and be the father of your children or the mother uh, to your children or the husband and wife to each other. I mean, you should try to live and take care of yourself. And, and that's part of the responsibility of an individual. How can you love your neighbor if you're dead? <laughs> you should try to stay alive and don't let people kill you unnecessarily. So, and that... That right to bear arms was the responsibility to bear arms to protect your community. You were expected to do that. But uh, but back to speech. Nor is uh, a bearing of false witness to do damage to people or persons acceptable. And and you can do damage with words. If you go out and say that this person is dishonest, like that Dr. Nass, that they suspended her license. Because she was using certain drugs that the CDC had once said was good for this particular ailment of COVID. And they said that you couldn't use it anymore. 
there was no reason to say that. It's still not clear why they were saying that. There's no evidence that there wasn't a good reason to use those drugs. And, you know, in life-threatening situations, I think that it's a good idea to use that. We, we showed alternatives to those, and most of those drugs are... Uh, in many countries are available over the counter. They're not regulated substance because they're so harmless. And they're naturally occurring, uh, but they don't ever occur naturally in a pill bottle, but they're cheap and effective. But they were hampering their use because if there were other means of treating, they couldn't make it a an emergency thing and they couldn't exercise all the powers they were doing. But most of the guys were doing it because they were subject to this, you know, mass hysteria, this mass formation of psychosis. We have an article on that. We've talked about that extensively, and I've added to the page on that. And we'll talk more about that because that's what modern Christians are suffering from. Yeah, maybe in relationship to COVID, maybe in relationship to the Bible. And could there have been a mass formation of psychosis back in 300 A.D.? that caused people to misinterpret the Bible. And that misinterpretation has come down to us through uh, coercive churches that have murdered thousands of people who disagreed with their theology. Could that have happened? Well, that's another topic. But also free speech, nor should a person be allowed to seduce the youth uh, or the cognitively infirm with malicious intent or desire for unwarranted gain. I mean, you can't you can't sign a child to a contract because he, he is assumed not to understand the repercussions of the contract. So he can get out of it if you sign a kid to a contract. But today we have people who are grooming children uh, sexually. Uh, they are mutilating children uh you know, when their use, uh, based on ideas they don't fully understand, and uh, they're doing it with false information, incomplete information that they're giving to children. Happens every day. Thousands and thousands and thousands of children are being mutilated around the world under the guise of medicine. And they don't have a right to do that. Do I want to give the power to government to regulate that speech? No. I want to give you the power <laughs> to regulate what people can tell your children. And, of course, the best way to do that is home teach your children. But anyway, back to this idea of conversation because we're going to end up running out of time before we have, because this is a big topic. You know, the most fruitful and natural exercise of our minds is, in my opinion, conversation. And that, of course, is actually... A statement by Montaigne, he's a French philosopher, that this idea of conversation could be extremely stimulating. Somebody once said uh, something to the effect that a heated conversation is is like coffee. It's stimulating, but it may make it difficult to sleep. And uh, there's something true to that. But a conversation is is more than just a stimulating exchange between one person and another. It, it actually goes much farther in its repercussion. It's it, it's actually, one person said what a conversation is, is a conversation uh, is a mystery. 
It's the art of never seeming bored or touching everything with interest or pleasing with trifles, of being fascinated with nothing at all. And, of course, that's a more facetious definition of a conversation, but it's willing to listen as much as it is a willing to speak. You know, conversations are an interaction of the minds and a communion of the soul uh, between two people. The art of conversation, like I said, is the art of hearing as well as being heard. And and the, the, I'm quoting other people. I think that's Hazlitt. And uh, but uh, even you know, I even I, I love the character of Glenda, who is the, I know some people named Glenda. Uh, who is the good witch of the north in Wizard of Oz, but she's in other books, she's, uh, there's a quote which says that Glenda didn't often stop to consider whether she believed in what she said or not. The whole point of the conversation was flow. And that's very true, that conversation is a flow of ideas. You should stop long enough to wonder whether or not you believe something. <laughs> but the having the conversation is actually testing your belief. You believe something to be true about the Bible. That, you know, that, you know, that Romans 13 says that we're to obey the government and that we're to take all the government benefits they offer. And, uh, I mean, people interpret it all kinds of different ways when it actually says, it actually uses a word that is normally translated liberty in the Greek text, and they they translate it government for some strange reason. And the, over there in Thares, it means the right to choose, and the right to choose was given to you, endowed upon you with the power of God. So when he says, let every soul remain subject to the right to choose, he's actually saying, let every soul remain subject to liberty. Because all liberty is of God and there is no liberty but of God. And anyone who opposes liberty opposes God, which includes the liberty to say what you think. Now, what you think may be wrong, but you should have the right to say it, to communicate it to somebody else. And in that process of communication, in that conversation of my lips to your ears or your lips to my ears, we can challenge our view of the truth and find out if, you know, because so many people have told me, well, the Bible says this. I said, it doesn't say that. I said, no, it says that in the Bible. And I said, no, show me where. And they cannot find it. And we go over and over and they, they refer to a few quotes. And I said, well, let's actually look them up. And we look them up and it doesn't say what they think it says. Some minister or somebody along the line has interpreted these things and say, this is what the Bible says, and they think to this day, and if you actually go and read it, it doesn't say that. But if they don't have the conversation, it never comes to their attention. That conversation is, if you don't converse with your children, you ever hear about these kids who are, you know, like there were twins who were tied up on their bed and kept in their room, and nobody ever conversed with them. They didn't have a radio. They didn't have a TV or anything. And they invented language. Between the two of them. They were like seven or eight years old when they were discovered and freed up. They didn't speak in English. They didn't speak any language. They spoke to each other. But they had invented their own language. 
<laughs> it's amazing. That's in America, by the way. That actually happened in America. Because somebody was getting a, a check. <laughs> they didn't want to share. They didn't want to feed their children. But uh, this need to converse, to communicate, has more than just a practical, obvious uh, use. It's necessary for the soul. But communication is not just done with words of your mouth, which is why Christ says it's so important that you don't just confess them with your lips. When Paul refers to confessing with your lips, believing and confessing with your lips, yeah, okay, but that was in a day when Christians were often having to be, it was a secret religion, so you didn't get persecuted. But they're saying actually be willing to step forward and say it. Well, that's why we created the network. Well, we created the network because Christ commanded that. We sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He commanded that we love one another. And I can't love you if I don't even know who you are. Oh, I can sit in a chair and say, oh, I love those people. But love is actually the same word for charity. So how can I be charitable to How can I give you food? Rightly divide the bread from house to house. If I don't know who you are, I could talk to you on the radio and you never ever get a hold of me. You never ever join the network. And then someday when you really need help, you're going to show up and say, Oh, can we join you guys? <laughs> can, can we come in? Because we hear you got some food here. <laughs> you know, whether you're in Nevada or, or Texas or wherever. There may be a network of people that are helping one another during hard times. And you want to join that network. But you don't have any oil in your lamp. <laughs> and so you're a foolish virgin. Oh, you you didn't pay into the governments of the world. You weren't just with the unrighteous mammon. You, were, you, you read the Bible and you sat in your house, but you didn't go out and try to actually practice religion. You So you have no oil. And I'll explain that even more so. This idea of oil. All the words in the Bible are symbols of something. And oil is a symbol of something too. Blood is a symbol of something. I mean you are flesh and blood creatures. But you're also a soul and a spirit. But everything that is spiritual has a physical existence. Until you die. <laughs> but your physical existence is based upon your spiritual anatomy. So if there's oil in your body as there's water in your body, what is the oil of the Spirit? I mean, even Christ, the word Christ means anointed. That's what it means. Messiah, Messiah, means anointed. And you anoint with oils. But if you don't have any oils, you don't get anointed. So what? what is that oil? And what, what power does it play? Now, I'm, I'm going to show you some of the in these quotes that I, I've jotted down you know like the the ideal conversation must be an exchange of thought and not as many of those who worry about their shortcomings believe in eloquent exhibition of wit and oratory a great deal of conversations you know and I actually know some people uh, well I won't say how I know them but when you talk to them and they even ask you a question about yourself, they interrupt you before you finish answering. And then they're talking about themselves. 
that, and you can see there's lots of other people that their conversation is like pose, you know, it's, it's to be viewed, it's to be seen. And of course, Christ talks about that, the Pharisees who are charitable and want to sit in the uppermost seats and, you know, it's of all vanity. But that's not why you come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and that's not why you have a conversation. Conversation like certain portions of the anatomy always runs more smoothly when lubricated. Now that's Doug Wright who who wrote that. But he's talking about lubrication. And that's what I was just talking about. I thought that's why I slipped this quote in there. Conversation, like certain portions of your anatomy, always runs more smoothly when lubricated. The oil, what, what oil lubricates a conversation, a godly conversation? To successfully seek good conversation, we must bring ample amounts of the oil of human kindness and humility. Freshly pressed through the religious practice and habit of patience, forgiveness, and love. And of course, again, the word love there is the same word for charity. That the oil of your conversation, if you're having a conversation, you have to let the other person speak their mind. And if you're in a conversation with anybody who is trying to stop you from your speaking... There, that's an act of violence when they try to stop you from sharing your thoughts. Your thoughts may be wrong. I mean, they just had this, it's been heavy in the news, uh, yay, uh, Kanye West, uh, said some things that some people interpret as anti-Semitic. I don't think that's really what he meant. I don't know. I haven't looked at his heart. I'd be love to have a conversation with him. Uh, I hope it would be more like the one that he had with, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson and the ones that he rants on by himself. But I listened. What is he really trying to say? I want to hear what he really wants to say. I don't really think he's anti-Semitic. Uh, and I think if I had a conversation, I could make that really clear with him because uh, I would bring out what, what his real complaint is. And it's too easy to slap these labels onto people. You know, the fact is, he, he's right, and you can, I can show you examples that in the media, there's these guys who control, uh, record labels, and they do promote artists who promote violence, which is not a part of free speech. You know, kill cops, they say it in songs, kill people, drugs, destroying the body with drugs, they promote it in songs. And they play those songs for young people. That's the violation of all those things I said under free speech. And they promote it. And some of them are Jews. But I'm not complaining because they're Jews. I'm not even, they say they are Jews, you know, but they're, we know in the Bible they talk about those who say they are Jews. The Christians, most of the Christians in early Christianity were Jews. But they also eventually in Antioch, they started saying they are Christians. Matthew wrote to Jews who were Christians, who thought of themselves as Jews and called themselves Jews. Well, that's where you get, there are them that say they are Jews and are not. So somebody says they're a Jew and they're head of a record label. I'm not going to bring up the fact that they're Jewish. It's not important. 
It's insignificant. I'm going to bring up the fact that they promote violence. You know, and like the one guy who, you know, uh, Anomaly had a recording of the guy being interviewed by blacks, and he was claimed to be Jewish, and he was head of a record label. And they said, well, you promote this artist, and this artist promotes violence and drugs. And his response, well, you know, I got a family too. I got to eat. So he admitted (laughs) that he is promoting violence and drugs to youth (laughs) on his record label so that he makes money. I don't care what his religion is or what he thinks his religion is. He's a bad guy. He's doing bad. He's doing harm. But who should enforce that? It's all you people who should regulate what your kids are listening to. (laughs) You should put them out of business. And that's all really, I think, in the long run that Kanye or Ye, whatever he calls himself, uh, was trying to say. I don't know if he was very good at saying it. I mean, it was hard for me to follow and I, I didn't listen to his long rambling things. But I think bringing up the fact that he mentioned that somebody was Jewish is a distraction. It's irrelevant. You know, if he probably said things that he maybe were not correct. But you talk to him, have that conversation. You don't stay, stamp labels on people. Say, oh, we're done with him because he said a bad word. <laughs> what, what the, what, what's going on here? That's not a conversation. You're becoming a censor. If you say that, oh, you, oh, you can't say that they're Jewish. Well, I, I don't even believe they are Jewish. If, if you want to define Jewish as following Moses, if, if that's what you, those who, people who are following Moses, those are who you label Jewish, I don't think that most of the people that say they're Jewish are Jewish. Because I don't think most of the people that are claiming uh, such terminology are following Moses. But I don't believe most of the Christians that I see are following Christ. They say they are Christians, but they're really the synagogue of Satan. And there are those, I don't care what you say you are. And and Christ doesn't care really what you say you are. Because you probably don't know the meaning of words. I mean, people go to church and they sing songs and they bow their head and they mumble prayers over and over again. And they they think they're religious. I don't think you're religious, not like Christ said, unless you're actually taking care of the needy of your society, the widows and orphans of your society, and attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. I don't think you're religious unless you're doing that. I think you're posing as religious. But back to, you know, that oil, that lubrication of human kindness. You have to let people say what they want to say unless they're actually doing damage. I Yeah, somebody will give you an idea. They'll say, oh, the Bible says this or the Bible says that and it doesn't say it. And what they're saying could actually lead to injury if somebody misinterprets it or believes them and they're not telling the truth. But you can't create a police force that's going to regulate that. 
A man or woman not willing to hear opposing opinions is not worthy of the sacrifice required for a good conversation. And the sacrifice for a good conversation is willing to listen to the other person, whatever vocabulary he uses. And you may have to sit there and redefine that that vocabulary uh, and understand what it is that that person is actually trying to say. So, the past conversations, though, of uh, Paul and, and the use of the word conversation in the Hebrew and the Greek words uh, that are translated in the modern Bible is another whole topic altogether because our conversation is not just words, but deeds. And Paul's conversation was about being people of action. And that's what we need to do, is we need to become those people of action, seeking the truth about what the early Christians were doing and what the early Christians were not doing. And there's not a lot of people who understand what the early Christians were doing and what the early Christians were not doing. Because the early Christians were uh, uh, taking care of all the social welfare of the needy of their Christian society and providing that social welfare through faith, hope, and charity and what we call the perfect law of liberty uh, of taking care of one another through the means these righteous means of charity and love for one another. And they could not have done that at that time under the conditions that we see when there were these dirts in the community that were going all over the Roman Empire, these shortages of food and these shortages of supplies that would lead to famine and death and the other disasters that were taking place. They could not have done that if the Christians were not organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. It was absolutely essential to uh, Christians in, in accomplishing that means of taking care of the needy of society. It was absolutely necessary that they take care of one another through charity. And that was the daily ministration of the early church. That was the pure religion of the early church. People don't have that pure religion anymore. They don't take care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity, but they do it through force, fear, and violence. We'll talk more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about this idea of conversation and the conversations that we had in the past according to Paul, were not just talking, but actually doing uh, the will of God. 
And if we look at the Hebrew words for conversation or the Greek word for conversation that we see used in the Bible, they're not always translated that way. One of those uh, forms of conversation that societies can have in their midst it can lead you to bondage, to destruction, to, to hell on earth. Uh, or it may lead you to liberty and freedom. But liberty and freedom by itself is not sufficient. It, it must also lead you to righteousness because that's what we're supposed to be looking for. Is we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And one of the ways we do that is this interaction with one another, which includes free speech, but it's not limited to free speech. It, it also includes the practice of freedom of religion. And so we've established earlier here, and there's lots of other supporting articles that we have and quotes, that religion is how you take care of the needy of society. Public religion is done through men who exercise authority one over the other. Christ forbid us to do that. We weren't to exercise authority one over another. But yet, and of course, the same is true of Moses. Moses said we were to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we were not to oppress the people in our midst. That means, and we were not to covet our neighbor's goods. We certainly see that in the Ten Commandments. So the idea that you want benefits at the expense of your neighbor and you're willing to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want. Public school, fire departments, social security, all the, you're going to force your neighbor to pay in you know, it's like the guys with a basket at church. If they carry guns, and if you don't put money in the basket, they pull out their gun and they drag you out of the church. And they take something away, you know, they take your car away from you or they take your house away from you. You know that's not Christians. But see, the churches today are not providing all the social welfare of the people. They actually send you to the men who exercise authority one over the other and say, you go take away from, you, you go to those guys. They will take away from your neighbor or maybe they'll take away from somebody else, some other country, so that you can have free stuff today. And we talked about how Caesar instituted this idea when before he was emperor, actually Julius Caesar never became the imperator. He was a commander in chief, but just of a military, not of all the military. But he actually took away from the Gauls and gave the money to the people. And the people said, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess we won't uh, we won't charge him with war crimes because he made this really good deal for us." <laughs> and then before you know it, he was that. Then of course with Augustus. He attacked all the guys who stabbed Caesar and he took all their property away and then he gave a lot of it to the people. Of course, he got richer and richer, but there was a lot of free bread floating around because he took all their property away of those those rich men who wanted to restore the republic. We're seeing that already. We're seeing, you know, like PayPal wants to take $2,500 away from anybody with a PayPal account who says the wrong thing. And see, as soon as you open the door to the idea that you can't say certain words, you, you can't, you can't mention, yeah, you know, I mean, you can call Christians bad names, you know, 
And you can say all kinds of bad stuff about Christians, right-wing fundamentalists and all this kind of stuff. You know, like the guy who attacked Pelosi or hit him with a hammer or something. Everybody's saying he's a right-wing extremist. All the evidence I've seen that he's a left-wing extremist. <laughs> and he's an illegal immigrant. <laughs> but uh, that these are just stories that are out there. But I'm pointing out the point is is that we should not keep anybody from saying anything. That the way in which you attack somebody who says a lie that could eventually damage something, gives misinformation that could eventually damage somebody, you know, like create, uh, what do they call it? vaccine hesitance. If somebody says something that creates vaccine hesitance, then you need to counter that with evidence that the vaccine is actually doing what you're saying it's doing. You need to have that conversation. But we see a tendency in society, especially with this last COVID thing, not to have the conversation. But it didn't start there. The conversation about free speech, the right to bear arms, where you have sheriffs actually thinking the right to bear arms is a privilege granted by the Constitution. What? Well, where did you get this? Well, the fact is most of these false ideas have been coming down to your children through public education. And we chronicled this. You know, I actually, when I was homeschooling my kids, I had this huge, I still have it, a huge collection of school books going way back to the 1800s. And I've been picking them up in thrift stores where people were throwing them away. And at libraries, libraries have a deal where they take certain books out of circulation and they're going to just dump them. You can go to the library and they'll just give them to you for free. <laughs> and it's a good deal because, uh, you know, when I was picking them up, I was in my 20s. But now that I'm well, be a half a century beyond that, <laughs> they're now antiques. I have these antique books I could probably sell. Actually, I have one book up here on the shelf in pretty good condition. It was one of my father's school books. It's now selling for Oh, over a couple thousand dollars on eBay. <laughs> I'm not selling it. I'm keeping it. But uh, the, the fact is, is we've been censoring information for a long time. Because we've been, and, and this is going to happen if you actually start thinking uh, that your ideas your your mind, your concepts, your ideology is sacred. Everything's on the table. If if you want to debate me on some of these subjects, if you hear me saying stuff you don't agree with, join the network, email us, and uh, I, I may even have you on the program. We can debate it on the program, and and have that debate and see. Bring you bring your facts. I'll bring my facts, and we'll see. Who's got the answers? And, and I'm not afraid to do that. Even if you say false stuff and bring false information. Because ultimately, the way you know what is true is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. But having the conversation is that communion necessary for establishing that Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of the people. So if we look up the English word conversation in the dictionary... It says a spoken exchange of thoughts, opinions, and feelings. It's talk. 
That's conversation. An informal discussion of a matter or an issue by representatives of governments, institutions, or organizations. That is considered to be a conversation. Real-time interaction with a computer, they say, is also a conversation. That's an added definition that's been put in there. Are these definitions common to people today, but are they what the authors meant when they used the word conversations in the Bible? In Hebrews, we see uh, the wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bows to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. That's in Psalms 37, 14. What, what do they mean, conversation? The, the word that uh, they say is there, I, I'll lay you odds, there's additional letters if we look at the word in the original Greek. I mean, the original Hebrew. But it's the word deleth uh, resh kof is, is what they say there. Well, deleth is selflessness. Resh is the process of clarification through selflessness. And crown is the actualizing of potential power. So that's that's the source of the word, Delet Reshkov. Uh, and, and so what, what what is that word actually telling us? It's a way, a road, a distant, a journey they're talking about. But it's that journey is that process of clarification. That's what that word is supposed to mean. But that's an upright conversation. And the seeking the kingdom of God is an upright conversation that you have, not only with the people round about you, but with God. Because God is in on that conversation. That's where the, because we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, we know it's not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods. We know that Jesus said we were not to do that through men who exercise authority. We know that Peter says that if you covet your neighbor's goods through men that exercise authority, this covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of, of your neighbor, we know Peter says that will make you merchandise. We know that Paul and, and uh, David said that eating at that table set by rulers and Proverbs where it's filled with these dainties, which Proverbs says is deceitful meats, will be a, will be a snare and a trap. We know that. It tells us that. And uh, the practice of doing it, those covetous practices, are a part of your conversation. But they're not upright. They're not according to the righteousness of God. So, but people do need help. People do need social welfare systems. The people do at times need a redistribution of wealth. But it's either going to be done through charity or through force. If it's done through force, you're not a free people. You're not a... Christians were a peculiar people because they did it through charity. They Modern Christians don't do it through charity. Oh, they have some token charity. But 90% of the welfare in their community churches, in their home churches... Is done through force, through men who exercise authority, who men who Jesus would refer to as the fathers of the earth, who at the time 
was the legislature of Rome and the emperor of Rome. The Patronus was our father. The legislature of Rome was the conscripted patri, conscripted fathers. They were taking, this is why you had to have birth registration, because the state was becoming the father. You can look up in the U.S. Code and look in Title 15, and it actually quotes in the law of the United States, Latin, parents patria. The state is the father. That, you know, you're, you're taking your kids to public school and you're saying, I'm the parent, we have the right to the children, but according to the law, you're not paying for that public education. Oh, you're taxed, yeah. But so is everybody who doesn't send their kids to that school are taxed. And they're taxed by men who exercise authority, who force their neighbor to contribute to what they want for free. They become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. Because if you don't pay into their public school, they'll take your house away. You have to do it. It's the unrighteous mammon that Jesus talks about. Mammon is entrusted wealth. So when it goes into their common purse, which Proverbs also talks about, common purse, runs towards death. Runs towards that destruction. Runs towards hell. So that minister that we talked about at the beginning of the program who said he was talking about homosexuality, which is actually a byproduct. Abortion is a byproduct of this other sin of coveting your neighbor's goods and becoming and developing this habit of living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. Because we know that that will turn you into, according to the quote, perfect savages. Whereby you will sacrifice your children so that you can keep your stuff. Because that's why most people don't have babies and abort them. Because it's too expensive to have children. Well, why is it too expensive to have children? Because your money is unjust weights and measures. Disobeying and sinning didn't start with homosexuality. (laughs) And I'm not... I'm not picking on homosexuals. They're stuck with whatever they feel. I mean, I most of the time I say, well, you're not gay. You think you're gay. For one thing, most of the gay people I know aren't very happy. (laughs) So they're not very gay. But they think they're gay. And I understand they think they're gay. And the Bible says they won't be able to control that. But they won't be able to control it. It is controllable. But your greed and avarice and wantonness is not controllable either. Yeah, It's not controllable because of what you did before, long time ago. It's, it's the practices that have been going on for generations now. The conversation that has been going on for generations hasn't been righteous, hasn't been upright. So in Psalms fifty twenty three we see whoso offereth praise glorifieth me and to him that ordereth his conversation will I show the salvation of God. That's the same word there. The two times these word conversation appears in the Hebrew Old Testament are are both in the book of uh, Psalms from the root Derek spelled Delis Reshkov. Uh, and to understand that that's 
that's a journey. That's a way. And of course, the, Christ preached the way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. The way does not include coveting your neighbor's goods through the exercise of authority of one man over another man. That's that's right out of Cain and Abel. Cain was going to exercise force. You know, I mean, the whole idea of Cain and Abel, and we'll talk about this in Genesis, of Abel was a tender of flocks. But Cain was a power of Adama. That's what the word there in the Hebrew is, Adama. Well, he's Adam. It's a power of the clay from which Adam and Eve were taken. How much is allegory? How much is symbols? How much is literal? Well, we'll get into that when we study Genesis. But in Psalms 37, 14, we see the wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bows to cast down the poor and needy and slay such as be of upright conversation, which we read earlier. How is it really with a bow that they are doing this? Is it really with a sword? Well, of course, if you're forcing your neighbor to pay for your free education, uh, the sheriff's not going to come with a sword. He'll probably have a pocket knife somewhere, but he's going to come with a gun. <laughs> and he's going to take your house away. That's the wicked. Have drawn the sword to get their free stuff. That's not an upright conversation. But, you know, it didn't start there with, you know, uh, property tax and public school. It started long before that. So instead of a conversation as in talking in a sense of a spoken exchange of thoughts and opinions and feelings, we should read this is those hostile and against God have opened, loosed, and set free a lane waste and have tread upon and marched forth in their might and power to attack and overthrow the poor, humble, weak, lowly, needy, those delivered by God, those who suffereth undeservedly for pious worship of God, and to slay, kill brutally, and ruthlessly such as walk or tread an upright, righteous, correct, pleasing, and proper way or path of life. So, what path of life are you choosing? See, all the Israelites, they didn't want to make this choice at first when Moses came to Egypt. They actually complained to Moses right away. But eventually, after they got through the plagues that were going to come upon their bondage when they were in bondage in Egypt. And you're in bondage today in America. You're not free people. We know that. I mean, the bondage of Egypt was 20% of your labor belonged to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. You didn't have a right to own your... You had legal title to land. You had a legal title to your animals. But you didn't really own it. The government owned it. And they actually started causing people to commit abortion because it became so expensive to have children. They were actually casting out their children before they were timely born. 
That was actually what was going on according to the New Testament. We explain this in detail. Show you the actual word. They're saying they cast out their brephos, which is your fetuses. And, and they were doing it before they were timely generated. Because Moses was timely generated. But there was a tax. It's going to cost them more because they had this baby Moses. So they had to hide Moses. <laughs> so he was an unregistered baby. <laughs> and uh, he was hidden away. And eventually he was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. And therefore became the heir to the throne of Pharaoh. And so when he came and said, let my people go, he actually owned those people. And a similar thing is actually going to take place in America and the whole world. But you need to start deciding whether you're going to follow Moses and Jesus Christ because they were in agreement not to be oppressing the stranger in your midst. You're not supposed to be pushing the red button so that you can be enriched. Remember the story of the red button? You push the red button, somebody else, somewhere else, you don't even know is taxed even unto death. (laughs) But you push the red button because you're going to get free stuff. But I don't even know them. So it's okay. You know? But no, it's not okay. It's not righteous. It's not the righteousness of God. It's not the way that God works. And according to the law of nature, which is divine will and the will of God, you're going to go to destruction. You're going to go to bondage, already done. You're going to not own anything, (laughs) and you will be happy because you have legal title to your property, legal title to your car, legal title to all your stuff, but legal title doesn't include ownership. By definition, in that dictionary, right there. It, it's right over here, a few feet away from me. I can pull it up, pull it out, and it says, in that legal dictionary, the legal title doesn't include the, the beneficial interest, the right to the property. You got legal title, but you don't own it. You own it by permission of Pharaoh. And if you don't think so, stop paying your property taxes see what happens. But I'm not trying to get you to not pay taxes. I, I don't want you to. I want you to start actually going all the way back to where we went off the way and start going the way. And I don't see how you can do that unless you gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And come next May, we're going to have a gathering out here. Probably next September, we'll have a gathering out here. But what you really start need to be doing is gathering there in your local states and countries. And, um, you know, whether you're in Canada or wherever. And, and people find all kinds of excuses why, oh, we don't want to sign up with a network. Or I don't want to do this. I don't have time. And I'm so busy over here. But, you know, Jesus talks about those guys who didn't have time. Made excuses. Uh, the, the the foolish virgins had no oil. I mean, why would anybody trust you? When here in what is relatively good times, you wouldn't come together to see if you could help anybody else. Why would anybody want to help you later? You know, you need to you need to actually start doing what Christ said if you're going to be if you're going to claim to be a follower of Christ. Psalms fifty twenty three reads, "Whoso." Offereth praise, glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation. All right, will I show the salvation of God? 
we can rewrite that verse. Whoso soweth a free will offering or sacrifice, praise, thanksgiving, glorifieth, giveth honor to me and to him that ordereth his conversation, his walk, or tread uprightly, righteously, correctly. He will be delivered. He will prosper with the welfare of God. So anyway, we'll have to uh, save this for maybe the afternoon show or for a later time. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.